friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. So we are in 1 Timothy. If you've got your Bible, open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And Greg inspired me with his object lesson last week, so I'm going to copycat him uh, to help explain uh, what we're going to talk about today. And so I've got this little jar of M&Ms here. So here's what I want you to do as you open to 1 Timothy. I want you to get your phone out or write down, I want you to take a guess at how many M&Ms is in just this jar, just this first jar, right? Take a guess, look at it. Maybe multiply the volume. How big is an M&M? I don't know. However you come to it, make a guess on how many M&Ms are in one of these jars, okay? You guys are really doing it. It's like people are staring at the jar like. <laughs> okay, do that. Once you've gotten a number, just pick one. Um, once you do that, I want you to write, right beside that, I want you to write down your three favorite songs of all time. No thinking, don't agonize over it, just the, you know, your three favorite songs all right? Write down those as well, and we'll come back to that. Um, I got a text. <laughs> that's awesome. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Three favorite songs, all right? Got it? Okay, we're going we're gonna to read our text, and we'll come back in just a second and connect the dots. All right? So, so Paul says to Timothy in the first chapter, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia... Remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Paul sends Timothy back or he leaves him there, whichever one uh, you believe about how Timothy ended up there, to, to really make sure to like shore up the things that people were discussing, talking about, believing in the church in Ephesus. And he says it's really important that you do this um, and that you aim to charge them with the core of the gospel of Jesus, which is love, right? And, uh, and it's fascinating how quickly you can move from love to talking about love, to talking about all the, you can start extrapolating, start getting to the minute of the minute of the minute of the minute, and we get into what Paul would describe as vain discussion. Vain discussion. It's a dangerous thing because vain discussion rarely ends in love, or a pure heart, or a good conscience, or sincere faith. So back to the M&Ms, back to the M&Ms. Um, your number you wrote down, how, how many of you wrote down over, let's say over 2,000? Raise your hand if you did over 2,000. All right, how many of you did under 1,000? Anybody under 1,000? Okay, so this is approximate. Annie gave me this number, so this approximate, we'll just say this, 1,984 
M&Ms, right? And I, how many of you got within 100? Raise your hand if you got within 100. Boom, finance guy. Okay, works at a bank. Okay, anybody, how many of you got within 50? Did anybody get within 50? Whoa, that's amazing. Wait, two? Uh, you got within tw- 200? Two, 20? You, you did 2,000 exactly? So you got within 16? I can do that math. Whew. Whew, man. What'd you get? 1,988? Oh my goodness, you win the jar. Great job. That's amazing. Okay. All right. Um, wait, what'd you get? 19, no, she's closer. She's living more. I, we're not doing it. We're not doing the, what, what is it? The price is right where if you go under, you win. We're not doing that. Just the closest, the closest. Hey, we're not trying to quarrel here, guys, about the M&Ms. This is the whole point of my sermon. I'm losing it. All right, so how many of you, uh, okay, how many of you in your three songs, how many of you, raise your hand if you, uh, if your songs were like rock songs? I mean, raise your hand. Rock. Okay, how many of you were country? Anybody rap? Any rap fans? Yeah, come to the altar and confess. I'm just joking. That's me. That would be me. Um, what else we got? Oldies? Any oldies in the crowd? Boom. Oldies? Any, uh, what do we got? I mean, you're like reggae. What else we got? Uh, punk rock? Any punk? Any punk in here? Derek Elliott, come on. And Blake Fisher's like, there's 700 more variations if I, if I could let Blake tell you all about all the different forms of music. So what's interesting about that, right, is, is there, here there is a, a number, there is like a subjective taste, right? So when we talk about Paul's getting in here into doctrine, right, which is what do we believe about the things that Jesus did or who he was, they're, they're not like the, the essence necessary, but they're the next step beyond like Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? That's true. It's a historical fact. Now, how did he pay the debt of your sins in that death? That would be the doctrine surrounding the cross, right? So like if you go to, you know, this would be called atonement theories, right? So I wrote down just seven of them and half of them you probably never heard of. So there's the moral influence theory, the ransom theory, Christus Victor, I like that one. The satisfaction theory, penal substitutionary atonement theory. Most of you would be familiar with that if I explained it. You probably don't know the name. You're like, it's a weird name. Um, governmental theory and the scapegoat theory. So all these are they're theories about how Jesus paid your debt on the cross. But they're just that. They're theories because they're not explicit in the scripture. Right? There's like themes and there's overtones. Paul uses certain language. Some of the language Paul uses is like judicial. So a lot of people think, oh, it's like a law court. We've been accused of a crime. Jesus comes in. He pays the debt of our crime. The Father uh, releases us from judgment. He wipes out our debt. So there's all these things. But, but it's interesting because Paul's saying here, hey, the doctrine that you hold is really important um, but also how you hold it is really important and what your doctrine produces is really important because if you're not careful, your doctrine can produce vain discussion. And we just get together as Christians and we just talk about the thing which is about the thing which is about the thing. And it's like you slowly move away from the central aspect of who Jesus is, what he did for us. And we get into theories and abstractions. And what happens is you get vain discussion and then... First uh, Timothy 2 says, from that comes quarrels and anger, right? How many of you ever had like just a simple discussion about Jesus that strayed into some like doctrinal disagreement and next thing people like their faces are red and they're like, no, it's got to be, you know, and, and you're just like, 
whoa, I was like, I had no idea I was like walking into a hornet's nest of some weird theological idea that you got from somewhere that's like, you know, it's like, I, I, you see how they got there maybe, but, so it's interesting, um, when you think about, how do you guys think, when you form your doctrine, do you feel like it's more like guessing the number of M&Ms, or is it more like picking your favorite song? What do you think, how many think it's more like picking your favorite song? How many think it's like guessing M&Ms? It's really interesting. Like the, the last, last hour was about split on that. And it's interesting because picking your favorite song is purely subjective, whereas this actually, there's a true number in here, right? And I think that's what's interesting is many times our favorite ideas about how Jesus did things or, or how things happen really are pretty subjective. Like we apply pretty subjective things rather than saying like, hey, there's probably a fundamental truth and I may not know the exact number, but I can approximately get close. But the humility of knowing like I may never know until I get to heaven how Jesus actually paid for my sin. And if I'm not careful, I'll miss the point that he actually paid for my sin. <laughs> that, that, that's the point. So uh, I, I think it's interesting when we think about how do we come to our beliefs how do we hold those beliefs and what does it mean for the church? What's the point of all of it is what I want to get to um, this morning. Kind of a, an obsession. What happens though is I think we get this obsession with our own taste of doctrine. And then that starts to color everything we do and it starts to separate us from other people. We say, oh, well, you believe that, I believe this. And what, what happens is we just, I mean, literally... Um, American Christianity is a study in how divisible is Christianity into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller huddles, right? To where hopefully I can get to a point where everyone believes everything I believe and we never have any disagreements, right? It's like, and we would call that an echo chamber now, right? And it's fascinating. I saw a study uh, about Twitter this last week about how many people are on Twitter in the world. It's way less than you think. And then how many of the people who are on Twitter who post nothing which means a small amount of the people who are on Twitter are doing all the posting. So the posting on Twitter, I think Kevin could correct me, but I think it represents about 3% of the American population are those who post on Twitter. Think about how many people view the world through Twitter. They read Twitter and they think this is the truth, this is reality, and it represents 3% of our nation. There's 97% 97 of people are just out there doing life, just living normally, and these people think, like, everyone thinks this way, but no, it's just the little 3% who have gathered in this bubble, right? And if we're not careful, we'll do that in our life, and we can end up spending tons and tons of time and energy in vain discussions, um, which, so the point of vain discussions, that's not the worst thing you could do with your life. There's lots of worse things that you could do with your life than having vain discussions, but the point is, Paul's saying, it's fruitless. There's no fruit, in vain discussions, they don't produce anything other than they have a very um, clear uh, opportunity to produce quarrels, arguments, which produce anger, which produces clear relational division between people, right? And if you don't believe me, just at lunch today, start talking about politics and just see where you go, right? Just give a clear, unflinching opinion, and I guarantee you'll be like, oh, oh, I didn't realize that was, you know, it's like, literally landmines today just trying to be like what can we talk about at lunch that won't trigger an argument right and Paul's trying to like pull us out of the edges what I see is anytime you push out to the edges of any system you you end up in lots of uh, different ways of viewing things but pulling to the center you end up with more agreement 
right? And I think Paul's trying to tell the Ephesians, he's like, I want you to pull back to the center of who Jesus is, what he did for you, what he's called us to do, how he's called us to live and unite around these central things. So vain discussions are fruitless, but quarrels are harmful. They're just harmful. They're harmful to relationships. They're harmful to the church. They're harmful to the Lord who watches us as we're trying to live this out. Now, what Paul isn't saying here, friends, is that doctrines are worthless, that you shouldn't hold any doctrines. That, and literally, doctrine just means knowledge or teaching. It's, it's what we know about who God is. But Paul's just saying, hey, be careful and don't be obsessed with doctrine. Right? You, like, Jesus didn't say, go out into all the world and be doctrinal. <laughs> he says, no, go out in the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey so it matters but, but Paul says this, right? He says, this charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So Paul's saying, listen, it matters because what you hold true in the center is actually part of how we wage warfare with the truth, by holding faith and a good conscience. If you reject this, you'll make a shipwreck of your faith. Right? So the problem is, is we have a pendulum swing right now in our culture, which is many Christians who are so dogmatic about the very specific little minutiae of their doctrinal stuff. And then we have people who swung the other way who just say, everything's true, nothing matters, God loves you, you know, be nice to each other. That's, that's it. And they're like, and Paul's like, no, 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 like, it actually matters. So I had a, I had a Bible college professor uh, at Mid-America, and he would make this statement every year. I think it was Bib Life and Witness. I can't remember which class it was. Matt. Matt took it too, Derek, a bunch of guys saying. It's a great class, but he'd say, I'll fight you on five things. He's like, there's five things I'll fight you on. And I don't remember all five. It's probably bad, but that's 25 years ago. Um, but it was like the, res- like the physical resurrection, the divinity of Jesus. Like these, these things, he's like, he goes, anything past these five things we can have a conversation about, but I'm not going to fight you on. But he's like, I will die for these things because if you take away the physical resurrection of Jesus, we have nothing. Christianity is untrue. It's a waste of your time. Paul says, if that's not true, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if it is true, it changes everything. So Paul, I think, is encouraging Timothy, listen, fight the fight for these things. But don't wander into speculation like the Da Vinci Code about numerology. I mean, it's literally like, I mean, your, your mind will explode with all the random weird things people can come up with about the Bible that aren't anything about Jesus in his kingdom. They don't produce good things. It actually is putting you in a dangerous place. So ships wreck when they're in places where they shouldn't be. Things that they can't see. There's things under the surface that you're going like, so this is the thing. It's like, I know it's really popular today to say, well, the slippery slope is a fallacy. And I'm like, yeah, except for the people sliding down. Like that's, right? It's like, it, it matters. You believe this thing, you let go of this fundamental belief, and then you get here, and then you end up with wishy-washy nothingness, Right? And so, like, literally, we worship every Sunday in a church that was vibrant and had revival in the 1950s. And when they moved out, they had 11 people worshiping in this room. Why? Because they wandered from the fundamentals of the faith. And Christianity has to be true in these fundamental aspects um, about who Jesus is, about what he's done for us. And so I always just go back to, like, the Apostles' Creed. I think it's just a, a fundamental statement about truth, who Jesus is, what he's done. I believe in God. 
God's real, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say, I believe in God, our Father Almighty, creator of the heaven and earth in six literal 24-hour days, right? No, it's like God created everything. However he did it, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun to speculate a little bit, but guess what? People, like, they literally split friendships based on a physical six-day creation, and it's just, it's madness. This is fundamental. He created everything. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I had a, a parent of one of our folks come up on Easter, and um, our church is different than, than his church. But he said, he goes, I told my kids, if you will go to a church that preaches Jesus lived, died, was buried, and resurrected from the dead, he's like, I don't care what kind of church it is. If they preach that, I'm happy that you're at that church. And I was like, oh. And I was like, I preached that today. That was good. Um, anyways, so he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, just the universal church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. If you believe all of those things, you are a Christian. You're a Christian. That, that is the essence of Christianity. Now, are there other things that aren't included in there that matter? Yes. There's some things that really matter. Um, but I think what we have to do is we have to be really careful how we come to hold those things and how we wield those things with each other. Um, so the massive thing about this is, like, we have to have a lot of humility that says, I don't actually know how many M&Ms are in here. I've got a pretty good guess. I'm smart. You know, I can do math, I think also, but you're like, but I don't actually know. I don't actually know how Jesus wiped out my sin on the cross. It's miraculous. It's, it's, it's mysterious. I have some theories that are kind of fun that might highlight his character or who he is or how he works, but um, I don't know all of them. So then it comes to like how, so uh, what I want to address just real quickly, how do we come to hold doctrinal positions and how do we filter them? Um, so John Wesley had a thing. They ended up calling it the Wesley quadrilateral. It's not a quadrilateral because one's actually foundation. It's not equal sides of a square. It's like a foundation that you work up from. So the first thing, anything you hold about who Jesus is, who God is, what he does, you start with the Bible. You start with the scripture. You go, I have an idea. I have a thought. I heard a form of belief. I've got to go find it in the scripture. And where I'm at now at 42 years old if I cannot find it in the scripture, like pretty explicitly, I toss it. I don't waste any time worrying about things that I cannot find in the Bible, right? I mean, I, I just go like, listen, if it's not in there, now there might be some things like you go like, okay, well, the Trinity isn't explicit in the Bible, but like, friends, the Trinity is all over the scriptures, right? Um, it never says exactly what we would want it to say as humans if we were writing the Bible necessarily, but it's in there. And I'm like, okay, I believe that. I see it. Um, but so we start with Scripture. And what's fascinating is if you want to understand the Scripture, where do you start? You start with the Scripture. You test the Bible against the Bible. You say, okay, this passage of Scripture, it's confusing. Is there anything else in the Bible from which I can understand this text? And there almost always is just confirming other places in the Bible that can teach you about what that means. The second thing you would go from Scripture is to Christian tradition, church history. Are there groups of people across the last 2,000 years who have believed these things, lived these things, loved these things? And I would ask the next question, what were the results 
because we have history of groups of people and what happened due to their beliefs about who Jesus is, what the church is, what we're called to do. Third is reason. We use our brains. We reason through. Now, this one can be tough because there are things about Jesus and about the Father, about the Holy Spirit that aren't that reasonable. We can't always use our brain to understand um, uh, everything about God, but we can actually, it is helpful, right? So we've got to be careful. This is why the order matters. And the last is experience. What you experience of the world, how you feel about it. The problem with most of us is we've been taught to view the world with this pyramid flipped upside down. Our culture would say the most important thing about you is your experience of the world, your existential reality and how you feel about it is the most important thing about who you are and how you see the world. Thus, you would say, like, it's interesting when people, um, they'll talk about God and they'll say, well, God, I, I can't believe in a God who, right, X, Y, Z. And it's like, it's interesting because they're almost always saying, I wouldn't do that as a finite human, and so no God could do that, but it's like, if he's God, how would you understand? I mean, it's like, it's a really fascinating thing that we overlay our experience on who God is, and so we start to say, well, I haven't experienced that, so I'm going to reject that, rather than saying like, hey, that might be a new thought, might be a new way of seeing who Jesus is, it might be a new way of experiencing the Lord. Rather than outright rejecting it, what I do in my life is I go to the scriptures, And I just say, is this thing in the Bible? Oh, it's in the Bible. That's interesting. It's in the book of Acts. Okay, great. It's in Ephesians. It's in the Old Testament. I mean, like, guys, it's really fascinating. We have three mini donkeys. Any other donkey owners here? Just us? Okay. Um, But honestly, if I went out there today and that donkey spoke to me, you know the really weird thing? I'd be like, there's actually a verse in the Bible where God spoke through a donkey. That It wouldn't be the craziest thing ever. It'd be like, God can do almost, I mean, God can do anything. It's like, and he's done almost anything you can imagine. So it's fascinating. Now, do I walk around waiting for donkeys to speak to me? No. If my donkey doesn't speak to me, I'm like, God's not real. God, make this donkey talk to me if you're real. You know, no, like, that's just not the way it works. But it's fascinating to me, like, God is so much bigger than our conception of him. So we have to leave room within the scripture to seek and say, like, who is God? What does he do? How does he deal with human beings? And and it's fascinating how he does it. And so we've got to be careful of our experience. And we've got to be careful, too, like I said, of our reason. Because our minds sometimes struggle to wrap themselves around who God is. But this has been really helpful for me. And I, I promise you, if you'll do this, this will keep you from so much error about who God is. It will keep us from uh, the new fads in Christianity, which now there's just so much like, I mean, I read bloggers and stuff like that. People tweet stuff and I'm just like, oh my goodness. All you have to do is just open your Bible and compare those two things. You'd be like, that is just, that's falsehood. Like that's not true. It's, uh, you can't see that in the Bible. Um, the, the next lens I would like to give you, which I, I think it might be more important, maybe not, but um, is this, if your doctrine about God doesn't lead you to worship, it's pretty much worthless. Like, if you speaking about Jesus, anything about him, who he is, how he works, what he does across history, if it doesn't, like, turn you from the horizontal to the vertical, then you're in vain discussion. 
right? Like if you can't move very quickly from your talk about Jesus to talking to Jesus, something's weird. Something weird is happening. Like you've entered into a realm where you're just going like, and, and I, I just love Paul in this, in this passage. Look what Paul does. He goes from, from admonishing Timothy to these things into worship. It's like he gets, it's almost like he's writing and he gets reminded in his heart about who Jesus is. And he just interrupts his thought into like, and I thank him who's given me strength. See, he's just like, he makes this like vertical move. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of the Lord overflowed overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he ends with this phrase, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to, to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Isn't that fascinating? And so this is the thing, is, is I think worship is actually the antidote to this division, this dividing into little bitty tribes. Jesus is the one person who unites the church. And we unite around Jesus when we worship him. When we talk about him, when we get into the little minute details of all these things, we start to separate and we start to think, we start to like, oh, I don't really agree with that. But when we just look at him, when we worship him, Paul's like, hey, this is the thing that unites us, which, which brings me to the question, why do we study the Bible? It's rhetorical, so think in your brain. Why do we study the Bible? It just hit me, like, right, I didn't have this written down for the first service, so you guys, you're getting this for free. Why do we study the Bible? It's really interesting, right? Do we study the Bible for information? I think we study the Bible to see him, to see Jesus. And I just want to tell you, if you'll study the Bible to see him, I just want to encourage you, the moment you see him, put your Bible down and worship. However you see him. If you see his kindness, oh, his kindness, Put your Bible over there and just worship him. Jesus, you're so kind. Thank you for your kindness. Leads us to repentance, which is funny. Leads you back to scripture, right? And you just start moving in and out. But the moment you see him, you worship. The disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened? They actually saw Jesus. Like the veil got taken away and they're like, oh, he's the son of God. What do they do? They fell on their face and they worshiped. And they're like, let's build an altar right here and never leave. <laughs> That's the way it felt. So worship, we study the Bible. We, we think about doctrinal things. So I just say, if you just start talking about doctrine, the, the moment your heart ignites with it, stop talking and worship. Pray, give him the glory. Because that's what Jesus wants. He wants you to see him. And I just say, if our talk about God doesn't help people see him, we need to be quiet. If you find yourself over coffee speaking about God, like, and, and you see the person's eyebrows kind of like, you know, or their eyes are glazing over, just stop talking. Because it just means something's obscuring your words. Like, it, it's not bringing glory to God. It's not making him clearer and so, like, the gift of teaching is taking complex things and making them simple. That's teaching. Anyone can make things complex. That doesn't take a lot of intellect. It just takes a lot of words and a lot of time with words. But Paul, he, he hones into this thing. And so for us this morning, I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to sing.
Um, uh, I told the story in the first service. Chase and I uh, were part of this, this little Bible study with some new friends. And um, it was the first time I've ever been a part of a Bible study that felt like worship. It was the coolest thing. There's like, there's like 20 people in this room. They're probably all t- under 25. And they're, they're reading, it's like Daniel chapter 1 through 6. And um, people had like, the teacher taught and then they read. And they literally, like, people are holding their Bible like it was the most important possession they owned, which was really cool. Because I was like, oh, people still own Bibles. This is kind of cool. Um, and they're reading. And it was like, once they hit on something about God, it was like, and it literally that day, it, it was kindness. They're like, look at how kind God is. That was the statement. They're, they're like, look at how kind God is. And somebody's like, oh. I mean, it was literally like this aha moment for somebody else. They're like, he's so kind. He's so kind. His kindness. And then they're just, I mean, it was just like, they were just like, like literally it felt like marinating in the attributes of God. It was just like a pause for like five minutes, they just extolled the kindness of God. And then they moved forward. And then it was like, oh, he's so powerful. Look at what he did. God's all powerful. Isn't that amazing? We serve such a powerful God. And it was like, literally, they spent another like five minutes just extolling the power of God. And it was like this thing for an hour. And we got done and I was just like, that was the best Bible study I've ever been to. And it was like the least amount of information you've ever heard. It was literally everything got pointed up in worship about who God is. And, I, and that's the point. I, I had this thought as we're sitting here. I was like, man, if more Christians studied the Bible more, this way, more people would study the Bible. <laughs> you're like, because you get invited to a Bible study and you're like, I don't know, man. I've been to a lot of Bible studies and it's just like dry and opinions. And this guy's like, well, I've done all the study and I've disproven the biblical tithe. And I'm like, okay. Like you, look, like, you did that. Great, great. Now, now what? Like, now, now what are we going to do with our life, you know? And so I, I just look at it and go, like, what if we came to understand how to hold our faith in a way that blesses other people and unites other people? Like, primary doctrines really matter, but secondary doctrines are taste. A lot of it really is taste. It's not that it's untrue. It's that we see it from different vantage points. And what could happen is we start to devalue people on the other side of a doctrinal thing that we value. And Jesus never did that. He never did that. It's fascinating to me how little time Jesus spent, the man who wrote the Bible (laughs) through his spirit, how little time he spent in the minutia of things. And how much he just sat with people and he said, you know what? He's like, I love you. I want to forgive you. I want to heal you. I want to see you delivered. And so I want us to stand to our feet. And I'm just going to ask the Father to help us with this. Because what I see is I see the world, and honestly, the church sadly following the world and dividing, 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 dividing. But what, happened, what would happen in our society if the church started coming together around Jesus and the church started uniting around him and say, ah, we hold some of these things differently. We baptize babies. You baptize teenagers. Guess what? God loves all right? You believe in this, we believe in that, but do you believe in Jesus Christ died, buried, resurrected? Do you believe in heaven coming? Yes. All right, let's worship him together. Let's get our eyes off ourselves and our beliefs. Let's get our eyes on him. So I love this song uh, that Kai chose because I was just like, oh, this is perfect. Like it's Hosanna. They're like, Hosanna. When you see him, you go, 
glory in the highest. Amen. So Jesus, we love you. I just pray for this church, Jesus, for this body, that we would unite around you, where you would be the center of everything we do. And Lord, I pray for those secondary things in our hearts. I pray that we would just hold them so loosely. But to you, Lord, we cling to. We hold you tight at the center and we let nothing get in the way of who you are, Jesus. We let nothing come in the way of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. So Lord, I I just pray as this church moves forward into what you have for us, that you would bring unity and oneness, that we would be one heart, one mind, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, Lord, into you, that you would be all in all. So Lord, I I just pray that you would heal the church of its divisions, Lord, you would heal the church of its disunity, what you do in the church would spread to our culture. I pray that you would heal the division in our nation, Lord. But God, if we're divided, how will we help the world? So come first in the church, Lord. Bring unity, oneness, love for one another. May that spread out of this place to the corners of the earth, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. at Skyline OKC. Again, here at Skyline, we are a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. So if you would like any more information on that, please go to our website at skylineokc.com and connect with us via that way. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.